Welcome to episode 15 of A Marriage of Serpents, an Arkoth adventure set uh, in the living world of Arkoth um, on the island continent of Maur, which once had a much uh, greater name, but it, but uh, the modern uh, but but the modern name Maur comes from uh, the low tongue word big and is a reference, a sailor reference to all of the small islands that surround Maur for um, as far as any small ship could uh, reasonably sail. <clears throat> in, um, in our last episode, episode 14, The Earthkeeper, um, we, let me grab the title for that one, The Earthkeeper. Uh, in the Earthkeeper, we um, uh, brought uh, one of the survivors of um, of hunting for Aya, one of the uh, missing fighters, uh, up out of the catacombs uh, under Kerkival, and um, uh, spoke with him and uh, the 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 denizens of Clearwater, and um, sort of set things uh, to, to quietude there and uh, prevent, uh, uh, talking them out of, at least for the moment, calling the Red Wizards uh, to, uh, to clean the place out. Um, <clears throat> trusting that Kian, of course, would handle everything and make, it, make the day right. So what could go wrong with that? Um, pursuing uh, the fighter out of the Clearwater District and out by the Clearwater Lake, which is a, an old limestone quarry, um, they spoke to the fighter about uh, completing their actual mission of getting the Proving Grounds going again and hatched a number of plans uh, in that regard and set, uh, set Donal on a path to um, gather some of the resources that'll be needed. Um, and, and in the process of that conversation, um, it became clear that there was a suspicious mist coming off the Clearwater Lake and surrounding and perhaps investigating them. And in the um, timely or terrifying combination of their exerted powers, um, they managed to attract and give form to the mercurial being uh, known as the Mist, who is one of the triumvirate of incarnated great spirits that are part of Maur itself. And um, they actually managed to speak to the mist, which is a very, very rare feat, um, since typically left to its own devices, the mist's attempts at communication are fatal, although presumably accidentally so. And they learned um, that the mist was uh, lost, and not lost perhaps, but, but feeling lonely and abandoned. Uh, because it was with the dragon's death, it was left only with the serpent and the serpent's endless rage. Um, and it had apparently come sniffing around them because they had the stink of some of the dead gods on them, particularly, um, uh, presumably, the stranger on the road, one of the aspects of Thern, the god of death. Um 
and they assured the mist as much as they could that the gods were in fact gone and they weren't hiding them anywhere um and uh but that fragments of them remained and um the mist eventually withdrew uh, discontent with that knowledge but um hinting at future interest <clears throat> And so uh, we begin tonight's episode. Let's have you all uh, introduce yourselves and tell us the name of the character you're playing and, and um, something you've learned about your character recently. Oh, Matthew, you're muted. This is Matthew Melville. I'm playing the dual characters of Cecile and Sisyphus our favorite ragtag duo of Surin's, the lizard folk. And I think something I've learned, um, I mean, I kind of knew this a little bit before, but just how far Sisyphus's knowledge of some of the supernatural um, going-ons of um, Maurer goes that um, the GM has kind of used him as a mouthpiece in a couple instances. Um, and just that his goes um, a lot further than Cecile and, um, and me as a player. And I think it will be interesting to go forward to see um, a little bit more about how he has that knowledge and why he keeps his own counsel. So that's exciting. My name is Dale Frankie, and I'm playing Claiborne, who is a salesman on your front porch wearing a nice jacket, and he's holding out his hand to shake your hand and saying, I'm here to change your life. And he's waiting for you to shake his hand. Um, and what I've learned from this character recently is that sometimes the most effective way to get done what you want done is to find somebody else, ask them what they're doing and help them do it. Uh, I'm John Scavone. I'm playing Kean Gallagher, a Dree wizard who's kind of caught between realms. Um, and I think one thing I've learned about Kian is that, or Kian, I think is he's learning about himself is that for him, the destination of where he's going is much more important than, than the means and the methods and the planning and the schemes. Um, the question of where he wants to be is more important than any of that. I think he's learning the relative importance. Very exciting. <clears throat> the departure of the mist and the rising of the gold moon uh, the brightest 
of the moons and the most, in a way, the color of the sun, uh, called Lanier or Loinier, um, that is meant to represent hope and an appreciation for the beauty of the night. And it's said that um, there are many stories about the night wings and if the legends are to be believed, there were people who could speak with them in the past or and or hear their voices. And uh, there are many stories of uh, the night wings intervening uh, in seemingly small affairs, but to uh, great impact, unsurprisingly. And uh, one of the origin stories says that um, the, the bright moon, which is also the largest of the moons, um, was in the beginning dark uh, because he was the only one that remained in the vault of the day while um, the first among the moons uh, did battle with the sun, with their father the sun, and lost. And it said that um, Loinier watched uh, unblinking and was bleached of all color um, by the sun's light as the sun uh, ground uh, the first among the night wings to dust and uh, scattered his remains in the firmament of the heavens as a warning against any who would rebel against the power of the day. Uh, and it is said that those are the stars, um, that they remained imbued with the brilliance of the first uh, child of night. Um, and it's said that um, for many long years, Loinier was a day moon, uh, colorless and um, hanging against the blue as a refutation of the dominion of the sun. But that eventually, before Arkov went into her slumber, into her cycle of slumber that she's in now, um, she had words. Uh, with her eldest remaining child and that he relented and um, went out of the sight of all the peoples uh, for decades and eventually uh, returned in view of the night uh, and kindled before their eyes uh, from a, a pale sort of colorless color uh, to the golden bronze that you see now and that he found in himself um, a hope for the future. And it's said that in every generation of need, uh, Loinier appoints a hero. Um, and you can identify them uh, because they will often carry a shield, uh, a bronze shield uh, carved like the face of Loinier. And somewhere on their body, you'll find the, the golden mark of Loinier. Uh, the night remained clear, <clears throat> the, the late summer evening, um, therefore growing chilly. And eventually, um, all of the, uh, and eventually the heroes completed their business in clear water, and those who were mortal um, and suffered uh, the exhaustions of mortal flesh needed their rest. And even Claiborne, um, found himself 
strangely thin from having been the host for the mist and had its voice run through his flesh um, and its waters condense within him. Um, and so it's the next morning early still um, although uh, the sun is strong and clear uh, and so for this month at least this seems to be the sunny day um, because the lead sky has yet to impose itself across Mauer as it does most days of most months of most years <clears throat> And it is over a large and very strong mugs of tea um, seasoned with fresh cow milk that started um, dark and steaming um, with faint, uh, faint dots uh, of milk only on the surface and eventually cooled, untouched, slowly mixing themselves the way um, mugs of tea will do when left to their mysterious currents, much like the world, and homogenized, becoming um, a color like uh, freshly woven rough flax uh, and cold. And it was over these cups that um, Kian spilled out uh, the details of his findings uh, to Ifa, who is his warden. <clears throat> and a red wizard. And eventually he passed to her all of his, uh, all the experiences and suspicions he saw fit to share, and perhaps some um, that with her milky skin and her flame red hair and the memory of their lovemaking from the night before, she got out of him unwilling. And he closes his story about uh, about his pursuits in Kerkival by saying, "Well, first, before before we complete that, how how is her demeanor in receiving this information?" <laughs> Um, she is, uh, she has gone very still and her ivy green eyes, um, at first searched your features. You think looking for dissembling or a Maurer story, meaning a big tale. <laughs> Um, but then, um, she, she pulled her hands off the table and, um, has been staring more or less through you with her deep green eyes for the last while as the tea grew cold on the table. I sort of imagine the, uh, the internal calculus going like, oh, I'm, Oh, he's probably lying. Oh, no, actually, I think he's telling the truth. Oh, no, he's telling the truth. <laughs> um, 
I think as as Kian kind of reaches the end of his story, um, he 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 calls into the room uh, the the specter that's been kind of looming over the table, which is their mutual distrust, despite their unique connection relationship whatever you want to call it uh, and he says I I wrestled with whether to go to the mage hunters because as I'm sure you won't disagree uh, the The inclination is usually to get rid of a problem through scoring. And this is an instance where I think that this may be larger, not only than myself, but larger than either of us, larger than even the kingdom. And I'm hoping you'll hear me. And you'll go in with it with open eyes and open ears before you make any decisions that any of us can't take back. She parts her red, red lips uh, three times, each time clearly intending to speak and then deciding on something else and staring for another moment and then parting her lips to say something, thinking better of it. A... Uh, one of the virtues um, of, um, of the white people or the red people, which she is one of, um, is that their passions are always given away um, in their flesh. And um, there is a, there's a paleness to her skin, but bright points on her cheeks and a flush on her neck um, that shows uh, the presence, the, the rising of passions. <laughs> um, although which passions in particular, um, the, the saucer of her face doesn't yet betray. The, the unlined white saucer of her face does not yet betray. Have you, she begins a question and thinks about it for a moment. And the first expression crosses her eyes as the corners of, crosses her face as the corners of her eyes uh, crinkle with amusement. Ah, you may want to have a sip of that. 
she says, pointing to the cold tea. Respectfully, he takes a sip. <clears throat> there are many queries which people fear to hear from. One of the red questioners. Although this does not often top the list, if I were faced with one of my order, it is the one that would concern me. And my question is, who else have you told about this, Kian? It's just about everybody. So you know, if she kills you, it's not gonna it's not gonna do anything. <laughs> I wrote a letter in the news. Oh. I <laughs> feel <laughs> like the gossip of the orphan children is the closest approachable thing to a newspaper that you would. <laughs> hmm. I've been. I've told a few people in the course of my duties that, that perhaps to Adrian Cuval's future displeasure that I was on a mission for him, but I haven't told the details of what I found below to anyone except you and my companions. Sure, her, her chest um, heaves a sigh. Oh, I was hoping that your inborn northern suspicion may have stayed your tongue. You know, you could call it good sense. It wouldn't kill you, you know. <laughs> I could, but it does seem unlikely, doesn't it? The things you're talking about. A, a shadow that came here with the five kings and that's been living under Kerkuval all these centuries. Shadows of Tharn, shadows of a sensate appearance of the mist. There are elements of the Dree Derig that hearing these things you would not survive it. Part of the reason why I decided to tell you about it at all. I don't delude myself into thinking that I'm not certain I'm going to survive it. 
and if I were to perish before telling somebody. <sighs> but having told me, you're all but asking me to spend the coin of your life. And if I don't, I will be borrowing against the coin of mine. I'm not necessarily opposed if you feel it is well spent. <sighs> Loyalty at this late hour is inconvenient. <laughs> you should absolutely report to the wolf pup but not about any of this <laughs> the expression on his face is silent but one of that thought had never even crossed my mind You know, when I came here, I actually was just about to tell you only about the Proving Grounds. I didn't even tell you, tend to tell you the rest. What's in this tea? <laughs> only the calming of your nerves for what I, I'm going to show you next, which I've been... <laughs> which I have been holding as you spoke and she she drops her right hand um, below the edge of the table um, and you hear the rasp of her drawing um, the skianderig the, the red blade you know that she keeps um, strapped to her thigh uh, and she puts it on the table um, you've seen it before, but she bonded to you. Um, and the moment it's now in, vision, in view, my eyes are focused on nothing else. <laughs> uh, it is the same ruddy bronze you remember. Um, it's a sort of leaf-shaped blade um, with, a, with a spine uh, down a ridge, uh, metal spine down the center. Um, the hilt um, is some kind of bone um, wrapped in cured leather. Uh, the cross piece has a more golden hue to it, and you wonder if it isn't maybe red gold, um, which would be copper mixed with gold, um, because that would keep uh, that would keep the blade uh, that would set the blade in something that would never cause the blade to rust um, being bronze um, every blade is unique uh, it's forged by the crafter and someone else in their order or some or, or another wizard um, who specializes in that kind of thing hers seems to have a a shadow across it there's 
there's some as you stare at the metal on the table um it seems almost it's darker than you remember but it seems almost like somehow you can see part way into the metal and you realize after a moment what it is it's as when you were a child um, and you ran one day um, with some of the other children of your village up the very tall hill um, to stand and see the midsummer sunset across the stones in the village uh, from the vantage point of a builder structure. And uh, the run became a race and the sun was hotter than any of you anticipated. And by the time you stood atop the gentle slope of the white stone of the builder structure, uh, you were flushed and heated. And so vigorous was the pumping of your blood that you turned um, to one of the boys in the village who is what's called the, the, a blue man, um, meaning he has dark hair and um, skin so white it's actually blue uh in the creases and folds and um is right quite translucent at times and you could see the great um blood vessels of his neck and the sides of his face uh flushed red with blood and throbbing um with the beat of his heart and you realize that's what you're seeing now in the skin derrick is something like a heartbeat and something like blood running through the metal of that outside the realm of what one would expect on in the skin well it's odd this is why you shouldn't date crazy <laughs> Um, I, as soon as the skin derrick enters view, I'm almost fixated on it. And it's almost like a, a small animal fearing fire. Some, if your story is true, When you came here, like pearls of rain on a lamb's coat, the powers were upon you, the power of the serpent, the power of the mist, the power of whatever evil you wrestled with in the catacombs beneath Kerkival. And the blade is, I think, drunk them. What? I I felt it during our lovemaking last night in the way that the blade and I are the same. You file that piece of information away for later. <laughs> As you're certain that's something she should not have told you. 
Oh. It's... It took it somehow. It drank it up. And it's like this now. And... She reaches across quite suddenly and um, grabs your wrist uh, in a very firm grip and stares into your eyes, her pale skin on your tanned and sunburned and hairy arm. Kin. I could take the rest. I saw it in a dream. It wasn't a dream. I know how to do it. That... That... Ocean... Of anger... That rises when you... Use the voice. And you realize you didn't see her move it, but her right hand is back on the on the edge of the blade, and you can feel something like a like a heat running through the veins in your arm. I could take that voice out of you. If you want. The 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 look that crosses Kian's face is is like that of a woman being told to leave an abusive batterer. One of um, desire and fear and frustration and suspicion all at the same time. The serpent has saved my life more than once, and it's also put it in danger more than once. But the serpent is mercurial, and its rage is terrifying. You see, um, you see, as you say that, you feel a chill in the air, and you see, you see the fine hairs of her lower arm stand up in the pale light coming through the window, and um, and then you see goosebumps crawl up her arm, um, and then you see a moment later them you see them run across her neck, and the the flush of her neck has dimmed. I understand why you're offering me this but I fear what you would actually be doing is making me mute and the serpent would remember. And I would be even less powerless in its face than before. Can you told me how the mist, the mist that has swallowed Farisha, 
the mist fears the serpent. The mist that went to war against the dragon a, a century ago, and again a decade, a, a, a generation back. The deck, your history would preserve you. And the reason that I'm offering this is because I have loved you since I met you. So I think I think Kian kind of speechless looks down into the cold tea and I think we'll scene cut there and come back. Yeah. Is that all right? Mm, totally. Nice. That was great. <laughs> oh, she's trying so hard to keep him alive. Oh god. <laughs> <That's very sweet. laughs> Someone it's should. Very sweet of her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Misguided though it may be. The law of thermodynamics means that if she saved my life, she definitely gonna die <laughs> <laughs> the, the law of npc thermodynamics exactly i see oh no it it'll be much worse than her dying <laughs> i assure you <laughs> i mean no what what can happen sure <laughs> she won't get in any trouble for that <laughs> who's next <laughs> batter up <laughs> Who, who's feeling who's feeling like going next matthew dale sure are we all going to be interrogated <laughs> no uh, <laughs> that seems so sure but yeah i'm willing to to go next or do you want to go dale you look a little tired Oh, I am completely exhausted, but I'm here for this. Um, okay. So, uh, Claiborne is um, standing outside in the early morning hours, and his feet are actually sunk two inches into the ground. And... Those who saw him take this position uh, late in the evening might notice that he is more solid. He's more himself than he has been for quite some time. Does he sleep? Do any of us? Not well, not recently. Yeah. Does he dream? 
or did you say does he dream? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Hmm. All the time. <laughs> it's called mescaline. <laughs> does he? I, I have to ask. Does he dream like humans, or is it different? Um, Very curious. In his, in his dream, he behaves as if it is his reality, because it is. Mm. He doesn't have like human senses in his dreams, does he? Or does he? Um... Because he perceives the world entirely different. Yeah, that, that's what I'm getting at here. Um, he met you in a dream. Mm-hmm. The dream is still going. Oh. Mm-hmm. The children. have been being children. Oh, good. And as the clearness of the morning light brings edges back to things, You realize they seem to have left you presents. Like many things. You don't entirely understand the presents. Um, they seem to have... Uh, laid out around you some very cunning handiwork of twine and little bits of metal and small stones, um, a piece of shell here and there. Um, and you realize they're all, they're all little kind of balancey structures uh, that haven't been anchored in the mud around you in any way, but have been set and have been sort of either teetering or swinging or something and have kind of settled a little bit this way and that as though maybe they were sort of playful mechanisms that have, that the wind has stopped um, playing with. Mm. And you realize you were dreaming of the river, of the morning river, across which there was only darkness, and which seemed to be a new down. Meaning, when things fell in the full view of that darkness from the tree that may or may not be there in that other morning, they fell away into the darkness. And Arkhoths seem to have no pull on them. 
And although the darkness was there, you were dreaming instead of the river and thinking about the taste of the river, which is to say the smell of the river and the memory of the river, which of course, like all men made of clay, is both delicious and ultimately your undoing. And you remembered the taste of surin in the river, but they were not well, these surin. They would not be becoming jagged stones to vault the hilltops higher toward the vault of heaven. They were like a clay man standing too long, tasting the river. They were dissolving, being washed away. And it was the sound of the river washing at the bank, the little sound of stones sloughing off and falling into the water that seems to have followed you out into this other outside, which has clearer edges in which there seem to be more people usually. And you realize that sound is coming from behind you. And you know, being you, that the Builder Stone is, is there again because it is content to be there again. And it's waiting the way it does for something. And it won't wait forever, but it's there now. And there's someone else. There's someone that smells a little bit like blood. And that sound that followed you from one world to the next, or was the bridge from one world to the next, is just coming to an end. And with the last few ting ting there's a a quiet in the alley that is your home. And you don't think it was the kids that laid all the stuff on the ground. Is it arranged around me in such a way that it's difficult for me to move? No. Hmm. It's all small. And it's all about the same distance from you. And there's a furrow in the ground in a pretty good simulacrum of a circle. Hmm. There's a something that wants to be a ring, but is more of a 
it's it's half of a ring. It's it's what would happen if a bell's clapper very far away had something happen to it. And the bell would thrum in sympathy. It's that. You hear that behind you. Hmm. Now that's very peculiar. Peculiar indeed. Says a voice. Claiborne is going to pivot around backwards. Mm-hmm. His feet do not leave the ground as this happens. They're just going to plow as... Yes. Um, the Builder Stone is exactly what it intends to be which is a, uh, a rough or an exact pylon um, of unequal measure so that it forms uh, a sort of trapezoidal structure, the front being smaller than the back, um, but everything else being very much equal. Mm-hmm. And it is um, exactly five hands high as it intended to be. And as that sense, which is often with you only when you're in the soft-edged place, that awareness continues as you turn around and stays with you. Um, And you are aware that the Builder Stone, now illuminated from within, had no intention of being illuminated and is become curious. There's a man. Uh, You've seen him before. Uh, You saw him at the Crown at the, oh, at the Millstone in the pond when the serpents were attacking you. Mm. He's one of those people that um, uh, causes Kean's sphincter to become quite so tight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just wondering what his name was. He's uh, he's wearing a, a, a cured um, a leather coat uh, with a hood pulled up, um, shielding him from the uh, from the morning sun, which um, is relatively strong, actually. Mm. Um, he has a close cropped uh, red beard somewhat haphazardly uh, hacked hat Uh, his hair is pulled back out of sight Um, he's in his late 20s and is developing a widow's peak he has uh, something of a sunburn presently Um, he's holding um, he's holding a a dark uh, a kind of a short slightly wavy, um, very pointed dark blade. And 
he's um, there's a there's a uh, a scale sitting on the builder stone, um, and it has a weird sort of funnel attachment, um, like you've seen something like in the market. Um, but it it uh, the the funnel um, goes down and kind of opens to two small tubes, one going to each um, to each scale. And um, there are uh, there are uh, peas, what look like dried peas, um, in each of the scale uh, uh, holders. Mm-hmm. And they're and and they look they look balanced. And in that weird way, you know that there are exactly a hundred and thirty-four peas in each holder, and that they weigh exactly the same. Mm. And you know you know that only because they're sitting on the builder stone. Hmm. We met a few days ago by the crown. Do you remember? I have seen your face. You are the the brown man that um, the bonded wizard has been uh, carting about town with him. As you say. Do you have a name then? I am known as Claiborne. Do you have another name? I have heard my friend Kian mumble to himself that I am an annoying puzzle man. I am not sure what this means, but I am willing to accept it as a name. That is not fair. (laughs) (laughs) You're certainly a knot pulled tight. I'll agree with that. Where do you come from, Puzzle Man? I come from the dreams of the earth beneath your feet. The dragon made you. I do not know. Can I share a confidence with you? Do you wish to tell me a secret that I must not tell anyone else? 
<laughs> Funny the rots of language. I mean, not that exactly. But I mean... I want to tell you something I haven't told many other people. That would be an honor and a gift. Do you wish me to keep it to myself forever and tell no one? I wouldn't bind you with such a promise, even if, if, even if it was lightly given. I understand. I grew up on the streets of the old capital of Cahal. There were some very bad times in my childhood after that. And I, I was small for my age and all my family was dead. And I made my way not being swallowed like any piece of gristle, being too tough to chew and sometimes fighting back. And I was so and Gowan found and trained me. Huh. You don't know that name, do you? I do not. But I appreciate that you are familiar with teeth and their functions. I tell you this by way of saying this. At a certain point in my life, I went from being afraid of everyone to everyone being afraid of me. And I found that quite enjoyable. And you, who should be very afraid of me, isn't. And I find that curiously satisfying. Yeah, uh, the, the, the wavy blade vanishes behind his back under the cloak. I take it you have decided not to be a thing that is going to happen to me. Oh, no, I haven't decided that at all. Hmm. I just wanted to share with you that I find your company pleasant. And I catch that as a confidence because it's not something I often say or perhaps I've never said. It sounds to me as if you have had much in common with the young people of this place. Oh, they've been watching over you all morning. Yes. 
I think they would try themselves against me if I set myself against you. You should warn them against that. What I was going to tell you as, is that these children, 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 are some of the strongest and most durable life forms that I have encountered in all of my time. They are stronger and wiser than most of the adults that live here. And if you share a background with them, I understand that you are, in your own way, quite formidable. How interesting. You're not the king I was looking for. He gestures toward the scales as though the weird bronze contraption explains what he was just saying. I am sorry to have disappointed you. not often rendered speechless. But you were a king. I had a dream in which I was a king, as you say. More than a dream. It hangs around you in the morning light like um, like a gossamer. Like a like a crown of butterflies. Would you like to hold his skull? I'm not certain I understand the question. I contain within me the structure in bones of what was once a king. Do you? That's interesting. Where did you get it? When I acquired it, I was not a thing that was accustomed to thinking and remembering. And so it is difficult 
for me to tell you. I think it's becoming plain to me why the why my countryman has been hiding you in plain sight. Hmm. And here I thought I was hiding him. You can disgorge this skeleton. It is difficult and would be very disturbing for someone of lesser constitution. I don't know that it would do either of us any good for me to put my hands on this skull, but I would like to see it. Hmm. And if I'm honest, more of your shaping. So Claiborne brings his hands up to his face and pushes the flesh to the sides to reveal a jeweled, carven, glittering, strangely malformed, but quite handsome skull. That's quite the smile. There are runes carved into it. He he starts to he kind of goes to move closer and then looks down and stops. <laughs> Has Kian seen this? I do not believe so. What are you for? Please excuse me while I reform my face. It makes it easier to talk. And he pushes the clay back over the skull and it forms a blank face in which a split appears. And the, the, the countenance is just a blank, smooth face with a speaking mouth at this point. He, he, he rubs at his uneven beard and seems to discover it's uneven. <laughs> it's probably a sign that I have been at this too long that that is the best thing that's happened in my life in years I'm sorry that took quite a lot of my concentration what was the question again? Has Kian seen the, the skull, the writing on it? 
I do not believe so. I think he is aware, but has not studied. I see. I have considered finding a different framework to help me move around, but I was warned by a god that this would be helpful to me, and so I have decided to retain it for as long as I am able. And which god was that? I do not know the names of your gods. Um, but you know them when you I, see them. Um, the player has a vague recollect, recollection of this, and I think it might have been death. Okay. Hmm. So he says, you don't know their names, but you know them when you see them. Is that it? They are quite... They are. Powerful in their opinions. <laughs> and you've seen one lately, have you? Yes, I have spoken to one quite recently. And where was that? That was here, wasn't it? We, mm -hmm. we haven't, like, traveled. <laughs> here, in this place. But of course, gods being gods, they can be anywhere at any time. It is one of the perks. Well, several of them apparently didn't pay their dues a few years ago and lost those perks, but yeah, I suppose so. Yes, there has been a great disturbance. And that is why I am here. He uh, taps a fingernail contemplatively on the bronze scale and lifts the little um, funnel off of it. He uh, takes out a very expensive looking um, uh, woven flax bag and pours the peas quite carefully into it. They're green disappearing into the dark brown. He knots it and puts it back on his belt, and he, he bends down and pulls a couple of the little pieces of um, bronze off some of the weebledy-wobbledy sculptures that he put around you, and they they uh, they kind of either collapse or fall over, as he does, and finally he picks up a, an abalone shell and 
puts that into a um, another bag on his side. Pardon me. May I see the last thing? He holds up the abalone shell. It's, I'll um, take it in my hand. It's about um, it, it's about the size of a of a large apple, and it's it's been um, the outside is rough and um, uh, covered in like smaller protrusions as abalone shells sometimes are, mm. and but the inside is is it's uh, been polished to a perfect um, pearlescent iridescence. Thank you. The lady that wept these tears was of a particularly fine demeanor. She was a poet. that could become immortal. Sadly, she is not. I suppose that covers most poets. As you say, Are you Are you planning to meet a king anytime soon? I am not planning anything. I am only hoping He scratches it and pulls again at the uneven part of the beard. I have some other things to do. If you... If you're going to meet a king sometime soon, be very awake. I hear your words, and I will remember them. Thank you. I'm certain this is not the last time we'll meet, so may the road... And he, he goes to say the traditional blessing and looks down at your feet sucking into the earth. Be comfortable for your feet. Oh, no, he's not a poet. He, he pulls his hood uh, further down, kind of mumbling to himself, shakes his head and turns and goes trotting up the alley. And the, the, 
Claiborne calls after him with his slow and gentle voice. May the roads rise to meet you in a manageably slow and obvious manner. Um, you see, um, you see the child uh, moving uh, through a, a covered uh, firewood store in order to trip him. Um, is the child looking at me at all? Yes. <laughs> With a sort of wicked, gr wicked expression. Um, uh, he, he holds up his finger and just does one swipe across. Okay. The child, the child stops just short of sticking out a shin and, mm. and, um, but is screened by, um, the low wicker screen that, or, uh, the, the low woven screen that holds in the firewood and, and Kalach, um, uh, jogs by unaware. Mm -hmm. He stands up. <laughs> Clayborne bows to him. To the child. <laughs> Another kid pops up um, from the back of, from like the trash bin area behind one of the little nearby food stalls with a, with a, uh, with a slingshot and wings a, a, a sharp little stone uh, and it misses the back of Kellogg's head by like a finger's breadth. And um, he seems oblivious to it and jogs on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have the feeling that um, this may be more than a morning's accident for him, but perhaps a pattern. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. That was a lot so, of fun to watch. The the little yeah, it was a lot of fun to play. The um so the uh the little mechanisms that he had around me and the circle has it has the circle been broken in any way? No. Hmm. And did he leave any of the little mechanisms? All of them. He he just took some little bits and things. Hmm. The um, the builder stone, awake as it is, is part of the circle. Um, yeah, it, now that's interesting. And it is without eyes or flesh or means of perceiving. Um, it is regarding you in its light and seems to wonder what will happen next? There is a curious reluctance in your flesh to leave the circle mm -hmm. as you, whenever you approach it. And, um, You feel the stone wondering what it would have been like before he took out all those important little pieces. And then the light drains out of the stone and you can tell the circle holds no more reluctance for any part of you. Oh. 
How's everybody doing? We've been at this a while. Matthew, you've been sitting a while. Do you guys want a break or Matthew, you want to dive in to the next little um, part? I wouldn't mind a bathroom break. I think okay. Shall we take five minutes? Okay. Sure. Sounds All good. Right. I'm going to use that quote. That is oh. perfect shade. <laughs> oh my God, you guys, get a hovel. I need to remember that. That's pretty spectacular. Wow. That is spectacular. Hmm. My friend Curtis and I um, send each other um, names for drag queens. <laughs> and, oh, he sent me a great one. Um, Have you reached the point where you could make your own name generator? It's, it's kind of that, but they but they have to be. It, it can't be random like that. Um, <clears throat> they they have to be at least a double entendre, preferably a triple entendre. Well, of um, course. Yeah. yeah, the one he sent me was Robin Man Hood. And then, uh, so out out of uh, revenge Christ. for him sending me sending me that, I sent him. Uh, we we do themes sometimes. Prune advocate drag, Lucinda stool. Oh. <laughs> oh. Lucinda's a great one. We we had a, a bondage drag queen name, uh, which was Lucinda Ropes. Wow. <laughs> Best game ever. Is it though? I don't for, know. For 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 drag queen naming competition. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> I need to uh, turn on a fan in here so I don't just smother. I'll be right back. I approve. Ooh. I'm going to refill my drink. I'll be back in just one minute. <laughs> Who, who would do that? But no. <laughs> There's nothing here. The good news is that your foundation is in excellent condition at the moment. <laughs> and if you do what we say, it'll remain in great condition for years to come. The bad news is we control the vertical. <clears throat> there is a there 
there's a slow river on old stone that has given its body to this place. Humans say you cannot step in the same river twice. There are a lot of things humans don't know. And this place, at least for a long time, is one of them. This is a place where a river has laid itself down in a cup carved by the sorrow of the earth and given itself wholly to that cause between earth and stone. <clears throat> it has lain here for so long that when the new water comes, it is surprised each time by memories of light. And yet, there is light here now, as there was long ago. There are two lights in this place. While the long teeth hanging overhead drip, their slow story of water down into the body of the river where it lays. <clears throat> Light has come back into this place. And there are two lights. One of them is old and one of them is young again. The old light has memory and the new light has hope. Like all memory, the old light reveals nothing of the present or the future except in those bare places where the present or the future stands directly abreast of that memory. And then it only indicates by absence. The new light, the light that is hope, is one of the lights of the dragon. It's one of the lights that comes from within the earth from the place where fire lives. Still, although the dragon has died. There are places where the teeth of the ancient Surin that is the cavern that holds the river have come together 
and surely someday its mouth will close entirely. Hmm. Maybe it occurs to you. Surin never really die. They just become too slow to see anymore and live on. Maybe that's why your people have no stories of the next life, because none of them are done with this life yet. You are sitting on the Surin's tongue. It looks to the uninitiated like an island in a dark pool in a cavern under the earth, under the capital city. And it would undoubtedly alarm the humans greatly to learn that this cavern is just under their seat of power. And it has been here like this all along. The new flame, it's very new. And with the light of its fire have come shadows. And you see that yours is stretching out across the water and touching the old light that has been here steadily all along. You see, there are things made by hands behind the new light. Uh, a screen made of a strange gray metal and something beyond it a door, perhaps, made of the same strange metal. There is You know somehow that the Surin that is this place with its mouth holding you close in the old river, you know that it can hear you. You know that it brought you here. And you know that Something else is coming into the room, and it will be here soon. And you know that beyond the screen, there is also something old that maybe has been too slow to see for a long time but wants to be seen, wants to be seen now. The dripping water seems to be asking you a question. 
if you had to guess this living river that decided to be here with all of itself and the old Surin in whose mouth it is the liquid. So perhaps it could speak to you just now and possibly for other reasons. What question would they ask you at this time, do you think? I think they might ask, what have you done for the Syrian people? And I think um, Cecile and uh, Sisyphus um, might come up blank, but they've integrated themselves a little bit with the, in the human community that they've found some allies, but they've as of yet not done much for their people. And in truth, um, little of what they've done could be considered um, useful or the sort of thing that a Syrian wayfinder would be up to. Mm. There's something particularly off-putting about earth being disappointed in you when earth is so patient (laughs) one of the things that happens in the last Surin home from which you were sent is that there are gatherings and it is the pleasure of the Surin to come together and to sit and to listen to the earth and the water. And sometimes it is necessary to disturb the old music with a small, quick voice of the currently living. And so speaking at such a gathering is a momentous thing and taken not lightly by anyone. Although everyone is welcome to speak and whatever they say at such a time is taken in the way frogs take in the water and thus are the first to benefit from its benevolence or the first to die from its malevolence. And so, Cecile and Sisyphus, you sit on the island that is the great ancient Surin's tongue. And you listen and are listened with, without any hurry, although you have your own insistence 
you can feel Sisyphus's shale presence beside you. And being that you are so close of mind, you know without him saying that he has nothing to say, but he wonders if, well, given that you talk so much, you do. Um, Ursusil wants to listen. What does the earth saying here? It's always a little bit different. From place to place. <clears throat> the music of this place of earth and water is complicated. Mm. There are so many echoes that people that weren't like you would miss of the civilization above and around you. And there are echoes of the older Surin civilization that once was in this place and that washed away or was washed away by the malevolence of water. It makes you think of Kian and that salt rage in the air last night. And then the pleasure of the music of earth and water and listening is broken by an altogether too human voice, which is unsurprising. <clears throat> I didn't expect to find you in this place, comes the voice. And you realize it's your shadow as it's thrown across the water and painted on the far wall um, where the old light does not banish it. It's a little bow. And where did you expect me to be? I was hot. Oh, you are not here. How are you doing this? This is a magic unfamiliar to me, and that is unusual. I dream of the dragon, or what remains of the dragon. I feel the heart of the earth. And you? You are not Surin, or Surin magic, at least none that I've heard of. Unless you're one of the mysteries. No. Uh, I am the shadow of the hound. Mm. How have you found your way into this pl 
place so close to the labyrinth. I myself... Hmm, I suppose you've already spoken to the how. Mm -hmm. Is the why important? No. I didn't set out for this place. I think I was called here. I'm not certain if it would be admitting blame or taking credit, but I may have had something to do with that. Mm. And you can see the shadow is becoming less and less your shadow and Mm. more and more the shadow of the hound. And it's resolving to stand on the far shore with the old light. Okay. It points past you at the flame burning up out of the um, out of the uh, the kind of stone chimney that rises from the rough sand on the shore near the gray metal gate and the gray metal door. The kindling of the fire is new, and I think it is a sign. Hmm. I <laughs> I don't know I was, what was lit when I first got here. But as I Hmm. listen. Huh. Perhaps your presence has had some effect in kindling it. And the store? Does this lead to the labyrinth or somewhere else besides? No. From what I've... I'm having a great deal of trouble crossing this lake. Hmm. But there are some old writings on the door, which I've, in a very formal script, which I've been able to decipher some of. And I think I was beginning a ritual to call out to your companion, the the bonded mage. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry, but it's funny to me that they've taken the title wise for themselves. In any case. Um, In any case. I think that might be the resting place of Tew Hall. I can tell by your by your blank expression that I'm being myself again. Um, Chuhol was one of the kings that crossed the sea. And Ah, I believe that is his resting place. I see. Yes. If they believe somewhere like this, it would seem that they didn't want it to be disturbed. That is accurate. However, the awakening of that fire is important, and I think although many of the legends the people of Maui have about fallen kings rising to save them are about me, those legends predated my first actions in this land. And 
I suspect something has woken the heart of Tuhal, and this is some potential promise. You'll have to forgive me, but we're talking of human kings that came and conquered our land. Um, for you, this might be exciting. For this, for me, this sounds fearful. I don't remember Tuhal having any special um, love for my people or places. My first inclination would be if he's waking up is to put a stone in front of the door and hope that he nods off again. The shadow smiles. Well, that is certainly an option. Also, these are the kings who cross the sea who could wield magic that could rend the earth and break the sky. Mm. And we may soon have need of more magic than we have access to. Sit down, Shadow. And I think he, he like picks up a, um, he calls over. Um, the, the Shadow sits on his knees. Um, no, no, he legs. calls over um, Sisyphus, uh -huh. like picks him up, but then he picks oh. up a stone and like offers him like come kneel on the stone. Oh, okay. Does he kneel on it? Um, there's a weird parallax thing mm -hmm. where your invitation seems to reel the shadow in and separate it from you simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, in a sort of dizzying switch of purview, uh, then the shadow of the hound is kneeling okay. um, on the stone beside you or before. Without you. words, I think Cecile kind of cocks his head and Sisyphus starts carrying him and he starts carrying the stone with the shadow and they cross the water that the shadow was having trouble crossing, getting close to the door. The, the shadow of the hound turns and regards you for a long moment as Sisyphus wades through the dark water. Hmm. And then when we get there, he puts down the stone on the ground um, near the door. Given your words, this seems like a an act I cannot fully explain. Are you certain? Perhaps it is a weakness of the Surin when the humans first came to this land, which we did not call Maur but just the land or the dragon, we welcomed them. Perhaps suspicion is foreign to us and I can only muster so much of it. <laughs> what a fine failing that we 
could stand to inherit from you. He stands and bows deeply from the waist. I will... I will be careful. I will... I will do some work here. When you wake, when you leave this place, tell your companions where I am. And is, are you sure that it is worth it to you to remain divided? physical the corporeal and the incorporeal that is an interesting question your corporeal has seemed weakened I cannot get close enough to the hand to myself to reunite I could (sighs) you have somehow intuited the struggle I have been having all along which is that I have relied too often on my cleverness and it has not availed me well in this time and place. I could relinquish this separateness and much strength would return to my physical form or to the thing of which, to the man of which I am a shadow. But I am afraid to do so. Which I have not felt before. I have fought many enemies. This is my least favorite. Which enemy was that? That yourself? This this fear. With fear. Well, you seem appropriately enigmatic. I will leave you to whatever I've interrupted. Very well. As you, as Sisyphus um, hums to himself um, and advances, the, the water seems to grow deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, or he's taking a path um, that is not the shallow bridge that he crossed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the water, the dark water, um, rises up around him. Um, and, it, uh, and it soon um, uh, crests the, the jaw, uh, his, his raised jaw, which is at the level of your body, and you feel the, the cold, um, minerally lake water. 
uh, rising up around you. And it, it tastes like, it smells like, it feels like, it doesn't feel like home. It's, it's the memory of home. Something a little bitter in the sweet. And as it closes around you, you realize there's been a person in the water, a man, a human man. He crossed it this morning, swimming down in the dark. And there's no residue, no feeling about who he might have been. Or... There is. It seems, it seems familiar, but it's sort of, it's kind of swallowed up in the swallowing up. I think um, Cecile reaches down and takes in a couple lungs full of water and kind of spits out and kind of washes the taste of Tahal from his system and remembers home mm. and kind of recommits himself to what he came out here to do. Nice. That feels like the end of this evening. Yeah. Mm. Mm, the butterflies agree. Uh, is there a last scene anybody uh, wants to, to do before we retire for the evening? Um, yeah, I think Cecile wants to. Um, I think at this point he's been chastened and he's decided that he needs to do action, including okay. bold action. Um, okay. And so um, I think that night um, with a number of the certain slaves kind of working, um, a stone is passed back and forth. And most of the certain don't, um, I don't think the certain have letters in the same way the humans do or the runes. Um, but they have, um, but they're symbols and things and um, they can imbue stones with feelings and very simple messages. Mm. And um, as the slaves work, all they do is they just pass the stone silently back and forth from hand to hand. Not a word, not even a look, just a little, and they just sort of grip it and then pass it on. Um, and each time they do, they think, um, they sort of think to themselves, um, be prepared. Episode 16, the Surin Uprising, filled at 11. Yep. <laughs> wow, that's beautiful. Oh, I love it. That's great. Mm hmm.
So Keaton wasn't like too fond of Tahal, right? Like if something bad happened, like. <laughs> well, could you start with the Mage Hunters? <laughs> that would be just, I, I can just see that scene in the movie of, of what we're making. Oh, okay. The uh, the Surin passing a stone from claw mm-hmm. to claw, mm-hmm. from claw to claw, and the looks on their faces of a, a sudden clicking of understanding. So, so John, I don't know that the witch hunters are vulnerable, but I think the place that would be most vulnerable would be the place that the humans think is the the safest, and that would be Kerkaval. <laughs> because I think it's relied too much on the earth. And I think that really is its own, it's only one weakness. It's defending against magic and attack and undermining and everything. I think the only thing that would bring it down is if the earth decided decide to swallow it. John's looking um, at me like, "How dare you?" <laughs> so, so Kim John, will I, never forgive you. <laughs> John, I thought a lovely close for this evening would be if you would paint us the scene, maybe uh, you know, obviously with your words, but maybe without dialogue of um, what Kian's answer to Ifa is. thing is I actually haven't decided yet what Kian's answer is. Oh, okay. All right. Well, um, so then, okay, that's great. So then I think we'll start. Uh, I, I'd like to start with that next time. That's okay with you. Yeah, for and sure. Then, and then I think I'm going to leap. Uh, I think my plan is I, I'd like to work with you maybe offline since it seems like you're probably going to go see Agrian by yourself. Okay. I'd like to. I'd like to maybe either do like as a chat, uh, or something like that, or or a, or a talk, um, the scene with Agrian, and then we can have it as a flashback in the episode. Sure. Does that that sound good? Mm. Alrighty. Awesome. Well, another episode in the can. Um, <laughs> That was lovely, y'all. Thank you so much. Wow, everybody came so alive uh, with those with the the the, my little um, my little whatever those were this evening. So thank you for the really showing up. Uh, So this was episode fifteen, the blade. Um, Perhaps more clearly apt for some of the parts of the scenes than others, Um, but maybe not. Um, And so uh, praise for your for your fellow role players. Yeah. Hmm. Um, can I suggest a subtitle to the blade? Sure. Or the stone that interrogated itself. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot of okay. interrogation going on in that one. <laughs> <laughs> I I really enjoyed how both of you are sort of, I think, and I hope that I, I hope this isn't taken the wrong way, but like I feel like really stepping out of Kian's kind of 
like when we first started, Kian was like, okay, you guys are bonded to me or whatever. We'll pretend or whatever. And they've been mm-hmm. kind of following Kian around. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I really got a sense in this from these interactions that like there is now like the, the light is splitting. The prism is kind of illuminating other colors on the wall as to what, what is about to happen. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited for that. And I think we started kind of with Kian because you were the most human in this human society. Right. But I think the cracks are trying to form. And so things are kind of rising up now. So, um, so Matthew, uh, uh, Cecile, Cecile, uh, uh, has, uh, one fade on his Surin Wayfinder. Uh-huh. And I think I'm going to give you an attention on Surin Wayfinder. Okay. You can have both. It's not a problem. Okay. Um, Remind, because reminds me quickly the, some of the mechanics behind those again. It's been a while. So when you get, when you get three of either, you get to trade them in for something exciting. Okay, great. Oh, magic! I'm going to try for another attention next session. <laughs> um, if you all want attentions, you have to accept my help or hurt. <laughs> Calm down. There will be plenty. You don't have to game the system. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Earlier, when uh, be- before the recording, when we were um, when there when there was a lot of discussion of different gaming systems, I was thinking to myself, "Cool, I'll play any of them because I don't really play any of them." <laughs> um, Matthew, I, I was noticing um, how your body language changed as you as you were working through that part of the story um (laughs) and you became very still and very upright um Mm. as i i could i could see you deciding uh that you've been away from your people too long um and uh that to, to watch you unconsciously fall into that character so deeply was a beautiful thing. Thank you. I do try and take on the character. There's sort of naturally squirrely Matthew, and then there's a little bit more of the character too. Some mannerisms. And I really appreciated seeing um, some more of Claiborne's um, interaction and some of his openness. And I think it'll be interesting because I think I've gotten a pretty good idea of who Claiborne is. Um, and I think you have a pretty good idea of who Claiborne is. Um, oh, no, please tell me. <laughs> um, I'll go over that. But I think Claiborne is still figuring out that there was that part where, um, well, you asked, what are you for? And I kind of feel like Claiborne's kind of close to that to the point where we'll see a little bit more about what exactly Clay, um, Claiborne's for. And I think that will be um, really interesting. 
Um, so, so on that what, note, Claiborne, uh, for Claiborne, Dale, if it's okay with you, Claiborne has one crack or fade on his I am pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I want to give him another crack on I am pregnant because mm. the things inside him are starting to come out. Hmm. And and it also felt to me like um like I want to give you a, a an attention on pliable. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and, and Matthew, I wanted to give you a also I wanted to give you an attention on the dead dragon dreaming. Okay. Oh. And so when you get three of either crack or fade, um, fun stuff happen. It happens, and the game will go a little haywire. Oh, fun. Awesome. Okay. Cool. And John, I'm going to wait on Kian's decision. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> I, I, suspect that, I, I suspect I have a, a good idea of what consequences might follow from from how he responds. Yeah. John, I enjoyed seeing Kian and you, you know, dating crazy. <laughs> we did sort of the proverbial like gun on the desk. It's like, I can make it stop hurting. And you're like, you know, <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> You know, what's funny is that before we started the session, like really, I think I mentioned, but my, my intention was for him to only tell her that, hey, we need your help at the Proving Grounds. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, come check it out. Uh, but but it, like during the like while we were in that scene, I was like, yeah, I think Kian feels out of his depth and he's just going to spill everything. That may, Yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. Like, he's been siloing for yeah. way too long already. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then he decided to spill it all to Inquisition. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that's what happens when you silo something in for too long. Is for that too long. When it erupts, it usually goes to exactly the wrong person you should tell it to. <laughs> <laughs> so. But is it? But is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, one of, that's one of the effects that I'm consciously using with Claiborne is that... Um, his way of dealing with his enemies is saying, how, how can you be my enemy when we are so clearly friends? <laughs> I really, really loved your scene with, what was his name? I, I, it was so oh. interesting because when that scene happened, I was just before that happened, I was like, what was the name of that other mage hunter we encountered so long ago? What was it again? Kalich. Kalich. Mm -hmm. yeah. I I loved how Claiborne threw him for a loop. That was very satisfying. Yeah, <laughs> that's Claiborne's power. Um, and I actually saw some of that in Kian mm. in in his process tonight. I think perhaps Claiborne has been good for Kian. Oh, f without a doubt. For sure. Yeah, and and I think that that's actually part of the you know when we're talking about fade fades and uh, attention and cracks like Keen has a crack in tradecraft, and you know at the at the top of the session I was saying that for him 
the 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 destination seems more important like it's growing in importance over the methodology which i think he was much more about like how do we how do i solve this problem how do we control this issue how do we do this um but then he's kind of he's been changing more and more towards being a person who's like like identify what identify our shared things that we have in common that we both want and and in a way that's been more productive for him than trying to like kind of manipulate the situation but rather being more kind of transparent and open about like yeah i mean we want the same things and and i and i think that that is very much a a reflection of his interactions with claiborne mm-hmm. like seeing that in claiborne that like when claiborne is like i don't have any animosity to you like all of a sudden the opposition just sort of melts mm-hmm. right yeah it's like oh well then what am i doing with this sword in my hand right that's unproductive <laughs> <laughs> yeah it did stab you but it didn't really do much now i feel silly <laughs> <laughs> that is an interesting flavor of metal what exactly is it composed of please tell me I could just see him looking at well, it's I don't know, it's some kind of bronze. <laughs> like, hmm, bronze, I think you call it. Claiborne, hmm. do you want it back? <laughs> no. Absolutely. Sorry, that's a seagull. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we still have okay. it. Was it hospitality? <laughs> yes. Very nice. There are secrets within. Absolutely. <sighs> awesome. Well, thank you very much for cool. a, another excellent episode of Marriage of Serpents.